This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. As 2019 comes to a close, we're so proud to be close to celebrating five years and more than 300 episodes of Fashion is Your Business. In 2020, we'll have all new exciting episodes offering everything you've loved about the show over the years. Some conversations, though, are timeless, as relevant today as they were when they first occurred. Over the next few weeks, we'll continue to be giving you a chance to listen again, or maybe the first time, to some of the standout, timeless conversations we've had over the last five years. When we reached our 100th episode, we wanted it to be something special, a big guest and a big experience. We're so excited to have Mazdak Rossi, or Rossi, as he's more widely known. He's one of the co-founders and the creative director of Milk Studios, made up of 10 divisions, which include an agency, studio spaces, production services, a contemporary gallery, editorial platform, and a makeup line. As a full-service creative studio, Milk activates at every step of the creative process. And since reaching 100 episodes was a big deal to us at the time, we invited the entire Mouth Media family to join in the fun. And what's more, the tradition of many Mouth Media shows, when the guest brings a snack for all of us to share, was born on Fashion Is Your Business. Many times I mentioned that we wanted someone to bring steak as their snack. What a treat that Ben and Jack's Steakhouse in Manhattan hosted our entire team to record this episode over a steak dinner in a private dining room. We hope you enjoy sitting in with us as we celebrate, break bread and eat steak, and get to know Mazdek Rossi. You are listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Recorded on location. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this episode of Fashion Is Your Business. And not just any episode, this is the 100th episode of Fashion Is Your Business. And a huge show. We're on location, about to get our long-awaited steak on as guests of Ben and Jack's Steakhouse in New York City. We have a significant announcement to share later in the show, so get ready for that. And if that's not enough, our guest is all by himself a big deal as we celebrate our 100th show and look ahead at the future of Fashion Is Your Business. We're joined by someone who has played an important role in the past, present, and now future of the fashion industry, and that's none other than the amazing Mazdak Rossi. Rob, you really know how to project your voice. (laughs) Co-founder of Made Fashion Week and co-founder and creative director of Milk Studios. We've got, if you didn't catch this by the applause, our entire team here. And it's going to be a great interview, a great dinner, and a great show. I hope you've got your seatbelts on because our 100th episode starts right now. My name is Mazdek Rossi, and I'm the creative director and co-founder of Milk uh, here in New York and Los Angeles. What I love about fashion 
is the designers, especially the young ones, the, the creators and the makers. What I hate about fashion is actually the industry. It's not the most loving industry. We we uh, we start every conversation with saying no, and then we then then someone's got to talk you into saying, "Come on, let's do this," and then you go, "Yes." All right, everybody, welcome to our 100th episode of Fashion Is Your Business, recording at Ben and Jack's Steakhouse in New York City. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and I'm here with my good buddy to my left, Mr. Rob Sanchez. Hey, hey y'all. Hey, Rob. And, uh, of course, uh, directly across from me, well, not, of course, directly across from me. Just I go caddy corner. <laughs> Caddy Corner. Uh, I heard someone say Kitty Corner the other day. I don't think that's right. I think Caddy Corner is right. It's Mr. Pavin Ball. Hey, you. Hey, Pavin. And uh, also uh, joining us today is our guest, Mr. Mazdak Rossi. Welcome, Rossi, to the show. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. And congratulations on your 100th podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, bud. It's a big deal. All right. Feels good. Feels good. I uh, should mention that we are recording at Ben and Jack's Steakhouse because if you've been following along with the show, we do have a segment on the show called Feed the Animals, and generally our guests bring a snack for us to share. But given the fact that, number one, I have been personally lobbying for steak for many episodes. Many, many episodes. Many, many, yep. many episodes. Uh, but also, since it's our 100th show, we thought it only fitting that maybe we turn the tables and bring a snack to our guest. Uh, we have had the great fortune to have Ben and Jack's Steakhouse uh, invite us to join uh, them as their guests, and uh, we, we can't say enough of appreciation to them for hosting us here. Uh, I can't wait. I have ordered my steak. Yeah, I've you ordered have steak. ordered your steak. Can you imagine I, if I ordered, like, salmon or something? After all that? <laughs> you probably get a salmon that looks like a steak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a couple of quick things, and then we want to get to know uh, Rossi here. Uh, just to mention who's here in our crowd, uh, we have uh, Shanice Graves, who's on our team, and you've heard on the show before. Hi, Shanice. We also have Natalia Makalova, who's also on our team and has, uh, you've heard her, uh, or will actually, you have heard her, and we'll be hearing her more when we uh, share episodes from the WEAR conference in Boston. Mr. Mike O'Day, you've heard on the show, and uh, Elon Tito, you've also heard on the show, and of course, Mr. Charles Beckwith, you've heard often on the show, the head of the Fashion Media Center and host of American Fashion Podcast. So great to have you all here. Uh, and uh, quickly, some housekeeping. A reminder, please follow us on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. And you can follow and find all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and our very own website, fashionisyourbusiness.com. And a side note, it is incredibly difficult to focus when you have 10 people all with their own agendas at the table. <laughs> well, half, half of them, are, the agendas are like drinking. Yeah, I mean, most, as, as the priority should be. That as as it should be at a steakhouse. That's not the first time that's happened. On <laughs> no, 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 no. So uh, let's, let's turn to the interview. And Rossi, would you mm-hmm. indulge us, please, and uh, share a kind of Reader's Digest thumbnail sketch of... Uh, of what you do for your work. What do you, what do you do? Well, just the way you said Reader's Digest, 
I was like, man, I got to really think back. Yo, order this guy another drink. To, to Reader's <laughs> Digest. Um, Can you give us a Twitter account? Yes, there you go. <laughs> 141 characters. Um, what's milk? So we're this year, actually, we're celebrating our, our 20-year anniversary. Milk um, is 20 years old, and we started in 96 here in New York City in the meatpacking. We started as a, a fashion photography studio. We were a space that we rented rooms for the biggest photographers in the world to come and create, you know, incredible photography and campaigns. And uh, we quickly grew into a company that started to not only be a facility and a space where people came to make stuff, but we started making it ourselves. So we built a film division. We uh, have our own post-production. We have our own agency today. We have our own gallery where we work with creators and artists to create shows and we sell work. Um, we're a group of 10 companies now. So it's like Milk Studios, Milk Digital, Milk Equipment Rental. We've sort of grown and grown. We also expanded to Los Angeles. So we're on the other coast. And um, obviously in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, because I don't know, if you want to be hipster, you got to be there. Um, and uh, so Milk's grown a lot. But today what we concentrate on is uh, is really content media we work with a tremendous amount of fashion brands and about six years ago we launched our own fashion week which was called made fashion week mm -hmm. and uh you know it was a platform for the next generation of fashion designers um but we also uh work with sort of like the emerging photographers filmmakers architects um and that's what milk has become today it's kind of like a 20 year old cultural center we work across verticals we support young talent, and um, we really built a brand about culture, and um, that's what that's what we're kind of known for today. And we throw really sick parties. So if you ever got, most people know us for our parties, um, and um, you know that's that's where that's kind of like the twenty second soundbite, but maybe that was a little longer. Well, what's amazing to me is that. You know, you were quoted when you first started the company, maybe in like 98, actually, a couple of years after, is your attention to community. And to me, as, you know, open source fashion stemmed out as a community, a meetup group, then conferences and blah, 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 blah. Now, for some reason, brands are saying, oh, you have to have a community. You have to have a community behind you. Otherwise, uh, you know, because the consumer is just not loyal anymore, this and that. So now it feels like brands are almost kind of forcing community into their ethos and it's just so unnatural yeah, and well for said. me to kind of read about you going into this interview and seeing that your focus was so heavy on community and that's what i feel i took out of the your the you know attributing to the success of milk studio is how you kind of brought community together what is your thoughts now on community as you move forward yeah i think that's really well said um you know Apple has a community. Samsung has customers. Mm -hmm. If something's 20 bucks less or more, a community doesn't care. But customers do. They'll go somewhere else. So about five, six years ago, we were going around working with the brands that we do. And we were saying, you want to build a community. Because a community follows you through thick and thin. A community mm -hmm. loves you for who you are. But that means you have to build an ecosystem for them to like live in and love it. Sick and parties. Other, yeah. And the other thing is that if you build a community, you got to feed the community. So a lot of brands don't realize how much work and energy and funds go into that. Mm -hmm. So you can't just have socials or 
throw a few parties and build a community, you have to like own it. You got to feed it. You got to mm. be part of it. You got to give them what they want. You got to make them feel like their ownership of your brand. What was your favorite event, your favorite community moment that you've had? We did this great event once with Motorola and Motorola was like trying to really dig into um, what kind of branded event we should do. And I remember in five minutes, we were like, let's just go to Bushwick and throw a rave. And they were like, what? We're like, yeah, it's going to, I don't even know how much it's going to cost, but it's going to cost X amount. We're going to go there and throw a rave. Trust us. And they said, okay, let's go do it. It was one of the most incredible events we've ever done. You know, and that was really important. Way back in the day, we also did another great one, which was the Creators Project with Vice. Mm -hmm. And Vice was like, had hired an agency, Mother, which is one of the coolest, sickest agencies in, in started out in London, but it's in New York. And they came to us and said, look, if we're going to do this, we got to kind of go meet with Milk. And they were like, okay, let's go meet. And we did the first ever Creators Project at Milk. And it was really about community. And it was the first time where I saw companies like Intel that had put up real money, money. real, mm -hmm. to, to companies like Vice. And I was like, wow, you guys are a punk rock magazine from Montreal yeah. who've built an amazing audience. But like, how, is, how do you even talk to Intel? Well, you work with Intel now. Now we work with Intel too. And they're a great partner. We're an agency of theirs. But we're also, you know, I hate using that word. We're like their friends. Mm -hmm. You know, they call us and they go, hey, we want to learn about this or we want to learn about sure. wearables or what, what does your industry think about or what? You know, and we, we sit there and we, we strategize with them and we say, this is what I think we should be doing. And we always use that word we because we got to be in bed with them. Otherwise, you're just an agency. You're taking yep. their dollars and you're hoping for the best. So community is important because um, it allows a company like Milk not to just create and produce, but engage and share. So even after you build up these relationships with, say, Intel, because we're on that thread, we give so much to companies, um, partners, actually, um, and we work with them side by side. At what point are you getting compensated for that value that you're driving these companies like Intel? So what happens is um, the value is there because you go in and, and it's a, you, what's amazing is that you're not just doing agency work or you're not just doing service work. It's the program we built with them was Milk and Intel. Yeah. So... What happens is right off the bat, it's a partnership. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is that they, there's a tremendous amount of trust, not just with your brand alignment, but also with like, what is it that we're trying to achieve? In our case, it was about what is wearables. Yep. And that meant, and this was at the time where tech was talking to tech and fashion was talking to fashion and nobody was talking to each other. Is this the event that you did? Carmelo Anthony was over there? No, this is the, even before, way before then. Okay. Yeah, it was like a year before. And this was, I had, I had been on a panel uh, that I spoke at. Um, this, it was like disrupted or fast company, one of those uh, panels. Mm -hmm. And I, I was on stage and, and, and I think my theme was, it's all about collaboration. And, there's not enough collaboration and it's like, and, and you know what? Ultimately, nobody knows what the hell wearables is. And let's just be honest about that. Yep. Like, and two is that there's no <laughs> communication between the two industries. Right. So, so like, it's okay to come out and go, hey, you know, we don't know what this is, but there's these new tools. Yeah. How do we figure it out? And how do we figure yeah. out? The, the other thing that 
I realized as I was working with Intel, which is an incredible company, I was we were working with the new devices group, which is this new group that they had put together, was that, you know, when you work with other um, brands, that technology brands that are like, you know, maybe a Samsung or an Apple, like they have to create the product. They have to come up with the next watch. Or even like what Google Glass did, they had to create that. Mm-hmm. So what Intel was, it was, it was, a, it was more like a, um, Intel was an ingredient company. They didn't have to come up with those ideas. They just had to help and create a conversation. So what happened was we believed that the person who's going to create the next Google Glass lives in Brooklyn. He's this young kid that nobody knows who he is. Or, you know, that the next watch is going to be created by some kid that nobody knows who he is. So Intel was the perfect company to kind of like be an ingredient company and go, you know what? We don't know who's going to make it, but we'd like to meet who he is and, or her, or we would like to have start that conversation with them. So our job was really easy. It was just about getting people in the room, getting all the creators, all of the fashion designers, all of the musicians, and all the architects and all the designers together, and then have a few Intel folks show up, and for us to kind of go, hey, guys, Here's all the new incredible tools that are available. We have no idea. We're not force feeding anything to you. But if you ever thought about how to use technology, well, this is the time to have this conversation. And so it worked out really well for us. And and that's how the partnership came about. How much I'm kind of wondering about the the growth of the companies inside of Milk and how much is that as a reaction of what your partners were asking for and how much was a, a plan and, and kind of a, um, a path that you were charting? Well, that's a really good question. Look, um, as I said, we started as a fashion photography studio, you know, 20 years ago, and um, we never thought that we would be in all of the different things we are today. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, 90% of what we do today, we never imagined, but it's kind of like... You know, I always say this, you you go where your nose is pointed at. And back in the day when we were a photo studio, the most incredible creative people came and used our facilities and and worked in our studios. And then they made amazing stuff. Then they got up and left. And at some point I was like, "Um, were we part of that creative process or were we just the the space for it? And then when we realized, like, that's not enough. Like we can't just be the rental facility. You know, anyone can rent four walls and a ceiling. We have to be part of the process. So we built the gallery. Then we built our own film division with our own directors. Then we built our... So all of a sudden, we got to a point where we were like, you know what? We're part of it now. We're making things. And I know everyone uses that word creator space or the creators this. But, you know, Milk was really one of the original creator spaces because you would walk through the space and you would literally walk in and you would see all these amazing people shooting things and making stuff. And then you go downstairs and you see like Kanye West working on his, you know, Yeezy line. You would walk into the jam room in our basement. You see Patti Smith rehearsing. Then you walk in the gallery and you would see like, you know, Platon, one of the biggest photographers in the world, creating a show about, you know, veterans, and uh, you would walk upstairs. And so Milk was this place, like about 15, you know, 10 years ago, where it became this place where you were literally like, you would just walk through this 80,000 square feet in New York, and it was like a factory of content, creativity, 
projects. And we did this all with our brands. In the beginning, it was just us and creators. And it was the first group that noticed us and the first group that walked through the door to tap us was agencies. And agencies first started coming to us about seven years ago and going, hey, I got a client named Ford Motor Company, and they're launching a new uh, Ford uh, Fusion, and they want to know if they can inject youth culture or culture or music into it. And we would go, oh, okay, uh, that's amazing, but um, we've never worked with a brand like that. You know, we're from the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And they would go... Don't worry, we got your back. We're an agency. So we would work with it like Ogilvy Mather and all yep. these guys. And then about five, six years ago, the brand started coming directly to us. Mm-hmm. So we had to build an agency. Mid-90s, why Meatpacking District? Um, I think it was the only thing we could afford. I mean, that's what young people do, right? I was 24. We were just starting out. My business partner was like, they, <laughs> I love them. They were like, oh, we found this building. My business partner is Erez Sternlich and Moshe Mana, they're big real estate guys now. But when we were all starting out, they're like, we bought this building in the meatpacking. It's in the worst neighborhood in the world, but it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. like, so we were like, okay. And we see this building and, and um, the building was like, you know, they bought Across it. from the standard beer garden, of course. Yeah, I mean, back <laughs> then it was nothing, nothing. And there was nothing in the neighborhood and there was an empty building. Yeah sat there for four years empty and and uh they bought it for like nothing pay the taxes you got it i mean it was Was literally like yeah i mean we i can tell you the numbers i mean they're crazy what it's going for now i would love for you to tell us the numbers so we bought it for about six million dollars the whole building how many square feet you said it was about two hundred thirty thousand square feet (laughs) um just so you know we sold it in 2005 and it's, it's all in, you know, we can yeah, talk yeah, yeah. about it. We sold it for about $54 million And it just flipped for about $300 million. So that's New York's, that's like yeah. a New York story, right? This stuff doesn't happen anywhere outside of New York. But, um, and, you know, you know, and it, it flipped like two years later. So for two years, we were geniuses. And then it flipped <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, we're like oh. you know, for two years, we were like, you know, basking in the sun, like, look at it. we're genius. Like, oh, and then it flipped for like 181, you know. And then we're like, oh, and, and then you, you know, people look at you and tap you on the back like, and go, yeah, Don't yeah. worry, you know, you can never look, you can never look back, you know, only look forward. You're like, But that hurt. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah, Rossi. Uh, looking back at the talking about when you first started the business. What does what you started the business, the vision of your business at that time versus where it is now, how has that changed? You know, the vision is the same. We were just a bunch of hungry kids that wanted to change everything we touched. That hasn't changed. Um, And the difference now is that we're not kids anymore. So what we do with milk every, I don't know, three to five years is we take milk and we kind of give it to the next generation. And then we kind of look at them and go, here's milk. It's yours now. Do better with it than you got it. And then they kind of pass it to the next. So it's funny how we're, we, you know, we all have kids now. We're all like, but, you know, like tomorrow night we have a jam session at Milk in the Basement. It's an it's a incredible partnership. I love the fact that you even get to say that. Yeah. That's we have a jam different. session tomorrow night w- that we do with Google Play Music. and we're, We have a music program with them. And it's like the youngest, coolest kids in New York. 
that come to it. It's like 150 kids that come to this thing, and it's limited. It's in. It's like we 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 have a band that performs like a tomorrow's Theopolis London and, and Dram <laughs> a jam session. Yeah. and then and then what they do is they they you know we rock out and, and we, you know we rock. But it's about 150 kids that get invited, and what we do is we we actually hack the band's Twitter account to find um, their super fans that are local mm-hmm. and then they get invited to this limited oh, nice. thing. Oh, nice. That's and really cool. We, we do a live recording like back in the day when you used to walk down St. Mark's Avenue, you used to buy the little tapes. You guys are all so young. But back in the day... What are you, you talking about? I Thank used you. to go to Jamaica. You used to walk down St. Mark's and, and buy... You remember you used to buy those little like live recording tapes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whole concept of our partnership with Google Play Music is like, let's record the bands live. So they, they um, we record them live. And, you know, so it is this like youth movement. And there is incredible next generation kids that come to it. But ultimately... We did the same thing 20 years ago. We threw parties. We mm-hmm. engaged with our community. We just didn't have all these digital tools. You know, we didn't have these platforms. Makes it easier now. Yeah, like today we're doing this crazy thing at Barclay Center that's kind of blowing up. It's like we took this young artist, Lalo, who does um, all the art that was in, that was in Beyonce's Lemonade video. He, draw, he does this beautiful art. Mm-hmm. And we kind of hugged this young artist, Lalo, at Milk. And, and today we're doing a pop-up outside of the Barclay Center, like a surprise. And we built this little room. And, um, and the, you know, all the screens of Barclay Center outside are all like Milk and Lalo. And all these, in one hour before, it was like all through social and digital. It was like, go to the Barclay Center. Lalo's going to do this incredible art installation. So that's what's going on right now. So, you know, we're still doing the things we did when we were 24, 25. It's just not me anymore it's these incredible young people at milk that are like doing these collaborations doing these pop-ups last minute installations and all that you know all that stuff so do you still touch all of this stuff yeah all of it because i love it like Mm -hmm. you know we we just like you know and then and then so tomorrow we have our big you know today's the thing at barclay center tomorrow's our jam session uh, with with dram and theopolis london and then and then the day after that, we're doing a huge party with Burton Snowboards and Milk in, at the, in the penthouse. You know, Sean White, all the pro snowboards are flying in. So we're going to celebrate our partnership with Burton. Um, and then literally, you know, we fly off to L.A. We have a huge made fashion week. We're doing our big event in Los Angeles for the first time. We have Moschino that uh, Jeremy Scott's going to show Moschino in L.A. for the first time. Then we have Hood Bayer in L.A. And then we have... Um, Tyler, the creator, is going to do and, and his show around his golf line. And so it just doesn't stop. I mean, I touch it all, mm-hmm. but there's, there's a new generation of people who kind of put it together. What's the energy shift feel like between being the one doing it to now being the one who touches it but isn't necessarily doing it? Um, what's that feel like it, to you? you? You sort of feel like a parent, but you feel like your kids are all right. You know, like, you know, someone said, someone said to me the other day, they go, you know, I don't care what my kid does. Like, I don't even care if they get a college degree. As long as they read, they're going to be just fine. You know, that's great saying (laughs) at the end. And you're like, whoa, that's really cool. Like, as long as they read and they engage, like, they're going to be just fine. You know? So it's kind of like that. It's like if Milk stopped doing collabs and stopped doing just last minute events and things together, 
then then we end up um we end up you know we're like that kid that doesn't read anymore yeah so you lose your identity we lose it we just yeah a lot of times a kid is the sum of everything you've done over the years and they develop into that or sometimes they surprise you based on everything you put into them is milk today the sum of everything that you've done over the years or is it becoming its own thing that and keeps surprising you you know um it is the sum uh, this amazing young student once asked me as a fashion student and said you know what is success and i said this the other day i was getting this award and i said you know i have to think about that and i realized what success was is that i've never gone to work in 20 years like that's how much mm-hmm. i love milk and what we do in every day of what goes on there mm-hmm. and so that means you have to really love what you do and in order to love what you do you have to really know who you are as a person and and you know so it, it, it's never been disappointing. There's been really tough times. I mean, we've we've gone through every, what every company goes through, and we, you know, we made decisions that, you know, were completely crazy. And you know, even when we created Made Fashion Week, it was one of the craziest things we ever did. Mm-hmm. And but at the end of the day, it worked out, and it really did change the way people show and try to sell clothes and and i think that it also introduced us and had the ability we gave so many young designers an incredible leg up and um so at the end of the day it always works out because if your heart's in the right place before you get into a project you'll always be okay but if your heart's in the wrong place and you're thinking about making money or you're thinking about how you're gonna you know hurt somebody else by creating a competition or something like that it never ends up working out or if it does you're kind of a asshole to do it and maybe you are like successful with it but you've hurt someone in the way so like how do you build things that are really really great but you don't hurt anybody and you help a bunch of people that's really the best thing and really when you look at fashion especially young designers they're not like 25 young designers Mm -hmm. we have they're 25 young american businesses Mm -hmm. you know so when we meet with like american express and the brand partnerships that we meet we're like you're not helping Made Fashion Week. You're helping 25 young American businesses. And that's when they go, how do we get involved, right? <laughs> so that's the flip side of that. That's a perfect time to take a quick break. And uh, don't forget, a little later in the show, we'll have a surprise and significant announcement. More with Rossi right here on the 100th episode of Fashion Is Your Business. Be right back. Hi, my name's Rebecca Fitz. I'm from Warby Parker. Hi, I'm Chris Hansen from Ignition One. We are hosts of Retail Is Your Business. Retail Is Your Business is a weekly podcast covering the intersection of innovation, technology, and business strategy in the world of retail, online and offline, across all industries, with a focus on consumer experience. We deep dive with insiders from industry leaders to cutting edge startup founders. Crucial insights, career journeys, trends, new ideas, and the state and trajectory of the retail industry become accessible with a fun and comfortable morning radio vibe. Listen to Retail Is Your Business every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because retail is your business. 
Welcome back to the 100th episode of Fashion Is Your Business. We're here with Rossi uh, at Ben and Jack's Steakhouse. You know, when a steakhouse is on the menu, Ben and Jack's Steakhouse is the order. Ben and Jack's offers the steakhouse's famed beef, including Midwestern Prime and a wide range of seafood, including the Chilean sea bass and grilled Norwegian salmon. Ben and Jack's signature cut is a porterhouse for two, three, or four, served sliced alongside its king-size bone. The wine list features wines and our pre-dinner spirits from around the world that complements the menu. Ben and Jack's also invites you to share in an unforgettable steakhouse experience with your guests. The New York City location on Fifth Avenue, where we are right now near the Empire State Building, offers five modern private dining rooms like this one, which can accommodate groups of six people, up to 250 people. Ben and Jack's Steakhouse is waiting to serve you a great meal. Visit BenandJackSteakhouse.com. Hey, nicely done there, Mark. Thank very you. Really, well. That was very good. <laughs> with Take a breath. <laughs> with editing. With editing. Uh. And dramatic music. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is so, that licensed? Did we license that? <laughs> Yeah, cut him. <laughs> cut You're that out. Fired. <laughs> Let me start out yes. by asking you uh, today, what surprises you the most, given everything you've seen in the fashion industry? What surprises you the most even now? So, you know, the fashion industry right now is going through a major transition, a major shift. And part of that has to do with, you know, there's still trying to figure out digital and community as we spoke about before and how important that is. They, they are also trying to figure out what seasons they should really sell the clothes in. Um, they're, they're trying to figure out their manufacturing. They're trying to figure out, you know, how they speak with their customer base. Um, you know, there's so many different parts of it. What, what's surprising to me is still how antiquated and slow they're moving, and um, and I'm more you know I'm speaking more about the sort of the traditional part of our industry, sort of the big retailers, the the bigger brands that you know obviously have built really really big companies that are going to take a long time for them to sort of shift their thought process, and it's really incredible that you know I go and sit in so many meetings and I'm. Even on a on a board at the CFDA, I think I'm on the innovation board, and there's a few um, other boards I'm on, and and it's just incredible that they're just coming around to talk about things like digital or e-com, and 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 I'm shocked because the the opportunities are endless for them. They have incredible resources, but what they are missing is the will to change, the will to kind of like maybe even say that they've been wrong. And and that is the part that's really, really shocking because they're losing revenue. They're losing getting a foothold and, and getting in getting first there. So you're not seeing the biggest e-com retailer being, you know, a Nordstroms or a Saks. The biggest e-com retail in fashion is Amazon. 
You know, the biggest retail is Net-A-Porte or one of those other guys who didn't even come from this. So it is just like, it's really slow moving. And for companies like us, it's really difficult to sort of sit with a lot of these brands and try to explain to them that, you know, you're not just behind a year or two, you're behind like five years. And, you know, it's, um, it's challenging working with them. Do you think that's a conversation worth having or is it time for um, basically brands to die off and new brands to arise? I think both are going to happen. One, we, we have to have the conversation. We, it, you know, part of our job is education, you know. And so we, we have no choice but to like get in there and just kind of like um, and, and sort of prove that, you know, the thought process is, is, isn't working. Second part is we have case studies now, and usually they're the younger designers. Yep. Like you just go and look, look at this guy, look at this girl. Now look it's at proven this. over it's and proven. over and over again. You know, I just came from an incredible meeting with the head of one of the largest, largest conglomerate of fashion houses in the world, um, major. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're, no, like, yeah, I can't <laughs> say. Who. But you know, they're they're moving. You know, he he said to me, he's like, you know, we we were spending twenty percent of our mm. marketing dollars across all twelve of his brands in digital. He's moved it to fifty fifty. So that's yeah. hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that now are going to go to digital. Question is, there isn't enough people that within those companies that know what to do with that or strategize around that. So, you know, we're going to work with them hopefully to, to help them navigate. What, what do you see with um, this trend recently of people throwing money behind influencers without knowing why? And now some of them are starting to pull back. Where yeah. do you see that falling into You're even the- finding, by the way, oh, we're going to spend 80% of our marketing budget next year on influencers. Yeah, I, I, I'm a bit, look, I, it's a big fad. It's it's come. It's gonna, and, and I'm not talking about the big, big look. The big influencers can make a dent, you know, and actually make a change uh, in your business. I'm just there's this whole middle area of mm-hmm. like, hey, I got you know a hundred thousand. Let's go get ten influencers that have you know a couple hundred thousand followers, and we're gonna seed them. You know, they're non-professional people. And it's a big fad. I think that company, you know, everyone's so, this goes back to the sort of the part about everybody in fashion being so scared of digital. So they jump on these little trends and they throw money at them. Then they don't see anything. They move on. This whole influencer thing, it's like everything else will come. It'll kind of like, I, I just don't see, I think it's, it's, it's foolish to throw all your money at influencers. One, and one case study that was particularly interesting, we were over at the Shop Talk conference not long ago in Vegas, and Revolve Clothing was one of, I guess their go-to market strategy was literally, let's take influencers, spend all our money on a Hamptons party and parlay that into another party, parlay that into another one. And they've grown tremendously by just doing that. So maybe it's effective now, but you're not saying that longevity will be there. Look, we, we went through this. We just launched our own yeah. product line. And we, you know, we looked at it and we looked at, at we're a little bit different because Milk has the ability to, to have influencers and we don't have to pay them or right. you know, they're just part of our community so we can just tap them. I think that I'm all about collaboration and I'm all about like coming up with projects with influencers and ideas. I just think that it's not your go-to market plan. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's a reason that, you know, it's not, you can't put everything into one event or one 
opportunity. It, it's a continuous, um, you know, you have to work very hard to get your brand out there. Work, work, work. You win and die in the streets, you know, mm -hmm. especially if you're a New York City brand. You got to get out there. You got to sell. You got to be there. We got to do that. You know, we came out of the gate very strong with our brand we you know we're in we're in 50 sephora stores we're in 50 urban outfitters we're going to grow to 100 sephoras we launched our makeup line look makeup and and you know we went big on retail we went big mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it comes back to great content you know engagement people talk about social you know what it really is it's customer service because your number one point of customer service today is it's through your socials mm -hmm. you know when someone goes i hate this shit you just made or i love this unit it's how you engage them and you say i'm sorry let me send you something else so you know what i'm so happy you said that let me yep. send you something so i i think it's like you know when you look at it from that point of view influencers social digital customer service communication then it works but just to bet on one thing and it's not that they don't own your company they're getting paid it's pay for play and uh it's very shallow the relationship do you see um do you see the quality of the photography and the quality of the media that's coming out uh declining at all um, well what's interesting you said is that if you want to do a big youtube play your quality better not be too high it won't resonate mm -hmm. if you want to play on social and perhaps on you know instagram and if you do a high-end fashion shoot and you put on this it's not gonna resonate you you have to create original content for the platforms you're on they have to resonate with that community so the idea of shooting a big campaign and then taking the stills and then reformatting them for your social and digital won't work anymore so today we shoot multiple medias for multiple platforms while we're creating the campaign so if we're shooting a major campaign for a major fashion house we literally have one studio for photography, the other one's for video film, because pretty much um, everything is moving to motion. Photography, still photography for fashion, is kind of dying. And I, and I can go into that a little bit later of why. So you're shooting, you're shooting film, and then you're doing all the social and digital, and they're doing it originally for the way that you shoot for that platform. Because mm -hmm. you, if you put something that doesn't belong on the platform, it won't work. So... You, you really have to um, create a tremendous amount of content for different platforms across the board. You do a tremendous amount of work of incubating talent. Um, and there are some heavy, heavy names that are out there. Um, Alexander Wang, Balenciaga, Kanye West. Yeah. Um, what's your approach when you come across an outstanding talent? Um, what are your first steps to developing out that brand or that personality or where where do I you start we we always start from creativity it's like why what are we doing how is this going to be different you know how are we going to change not just the brand but like the world music fashion you know really really big thinking mm -hmm. and the beauty of that is that it's free it's yep. free to go ballistic on creative and thinking you don't have to spend a dollar you just got to get the right people in the room so you know anytime we had the opportunity to work with kanye it's it's always been like you know sky's the limit 
I mean, he'll he he he's down the, for whatever. He's just he's he's down for whatever, but he's he has no limits mm-hmm. of creativity. Everything starts with him about creativity, mm-hmm. and so you know, milk has been a facilitator for him, and a community for him, and a place for him to create. So, you know, we we always get that call. And when we do, it's usually like, what do you want to do? And he's like, this is the idea I have. And we're like, let's do it. So it's it's an incredible organic relationship. And, you know, he is one of the most incredible creative people of our generation. So when you're looking for the talent, you're looking for somebody who's open and um, looking to play? or What's interesting is what you said is it's not even that when we're looking, they kind of come to us a lot mm-hmm. of times like, you know, we – we don't even look, you know, milk has become this beacon where they just come to. They're like, you know, I, I love a lot of, you know, a lot of designers or artists or, you know, usually this is what I love is like, usually they come up with some crazy idea and then they're like, let's call Rossi. Then they call me and they're like, Hey Ross, we have this idea. And then I'm like, what is it? And then they'll be like, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, okay, I, I know which divisions to get involved. Let's do this. So we do have a problem saying no. It's inherently in my culture. But you've always done that. Even We've when always you started this. Yeah. So, I mean, is this, this is just a big old, I mean, a, a culture parlay yeah. or a snowball going down? No, it's our culture. It's like, man, we live in New York and we live once. Yeah. Are you crazy? Like, yeah. how can we not not do this? You know? I remember the day Kanye showed up at Milk. It was like 2 p.m. And it was like market week. Every studio was full. There was all these like, it, everyone was there. It was like Lanvin, Balenciaga. It was like Givenchy. Everyone was doing the market. And Kanye just shows up and he's at the reception desk. And I came down. I'm like, hey, what's up? He's like, good. He goes, listen, tonight we got to drop the album. And I said, what? <laughs> he goes, tonight we're dropping Yeezy. Yeezus. And I was like, what, like tonight? It's 2 p.m. He's like, I mean, by 8 p.m., we had seven trailers outside from, like, Live Nation with stacks you couldn't believe. We, we had no place at Milk except the loading dock. We emptied the loading dock, got the dumpster out of there, threw all the trucks out. <laughs> we built an entire... Studio. We built an entire um, sort of, like, film projection walls, and they brought in the biggest stacks I've ever seen. And by 10 p.m., we had 300 people, Jay-Z, Beyonce... Timbaland, everyone was there and, and he walked up and he said, this is my new album and he just dropped it. And we were like, whoa, Jesus. we just made history. And it was <laughs> no, the most no, incredible thing you've ever seen. And then, and then the best part was, uh, you know, Izzy, his manager, was a dear friend of mine and said, Ross, you know, um, Ye wants to do this in LA. So we all got on a flight, we all flew to LA and we did it in LA. Right away, before the press hits, go, 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 go. And we did it. And and he was such an amazing guy. We dropped the whole thing. And and uh so that's what milk's about. And it's like, you know, it's just we we are we have this culture of saying yes because because um we get really great people and friends that come to us and say, you know what? Um, I want to do this with milk. And that goes back to that idea of like community. The craziest I ever saw, and I didn't even know you pulled it off, was the Target show yeah. at the Standard Hotel. <laughs> I was there. I saw it. I was yeah, yeah. on the High Line and I was yeah. watching it. I So YouTube, Google, Mazdaq Rossi, 
Um, it's actually really far down, surprisingly. First is like Kanye giving you an eight-minute introduction speech to an award that you won, yeah. which is probably a weird feeling. <laughs> um, but it was – I realized – today. not today, but I found out that you had no idea whether it would work or not yeah. when you guys press play. Yeah, we had no idea. What was that experience like? So, uh, so, Mother, so Target came to Mother, the agency, yeah. which we talked about. And said, you know, we want to do this, like, amazing outdoor fashion show. We're coming to New York. We want to make a big noise. And Mother came to us, and we're, we're, you know, because we do a lot of fashion shows. And we said, well, you know, we kind of put our A-team on it, which was Jeremy, Jas- Jeremy uh, Gravel and, and – and, sorry, Jeremy Jasper and Georgie Gravel were our two directors who we brought in. And, and the idea was to reimagine, a, a, like, an, a fashion show through a kaleidoscope. So we're like sitting there and, and we we put in the most incredible team with Mother and it was like, you know, you know, we had like Daft Punk's team working on the lighting scheme and and we had um I forgot the gentleman's name, did the original okay, the, the lighting scheme was how do you control the entire hotel meticulously, like to the yeah. millisecond, right? And yeah, like there yeah. was dancers in all the windows and the Yeah, so the is, idea originally I mean, was, was that we someone thought, said, let's projection map on the building. And we were like, nah, 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 nah it's already been enough. done. Yeah, gonna, so yeah, then it was like, it. I had to call, I remember <laughs> I had to call Andre Balaz, who owns the standard, and go, Andre. He's like, hey, Ross, how you doing? I'm like, good. Um, I have a question for you. Good, like, great, yeah. great, great, great. And yeah. August 10th, can I rent every room in the building? Yeah. And he was like, what? I said, I, actually, I need it for two days. You might have to cancel <laughs> I said every we yeah. need every every room in the building we have to do at the Standard Hotel in New York, and they were like, I think he, he may have even bonkers. he may have even like hung up on me. It was like click, and then like call him back and the team called him back. So we ended up having to rent the whole building for like two days. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is that the whole idea was that it was a surprise. So we rented a warehouse in Brooklyn. We all went there and we like dummy, we built dummies of the rooms. It's like Ocean Eleven. Yeah, and exactly. Nice. I wish we would have <laughs> There's the, the vault. Yeah, yeah, the vault. Yeah, yeah. And then I we, wish we had robbed a bank. We had like 160 Jeez. dancers <laughs> and actors. We, uh, we um, wrote an original score. We had over, I don't know, something like 10, 12,000 LED lights no. throughout the building. We wired every room on the south side of the building, but we had to take both sides. All within one day, so the next day. Yeah, we set it up. And then we we, we had no opportunity to test drive because we didn't want to give it away. Mm-hmm. So we literally were like, we wrote a, there was a whole software system, computer system written of the lighting, and the, it was a 22-minute show. But it looked like everyone was staying in the room. <laughs> it and, felt like forever, in a, in a yeah. magical way, because I was standing there yeah. being like, holy it's not over. This is incredible. This is incredible. Like, what the hell? No, it was crazy. Yeah. It was and, ridiculous. you know, we ended up willing – we won a gold lion at Cannes uh, for, like, best ad- outdoor advertising. And <laughs> That was the same year Ralph Lauren did their 4D uh, experience or 5D or whatever where they had, like, the – it was trampo- – they it, did, like, a 3D thing on oh, they the Fifth did, yeah, Avenue yeah. store and then Got they it. sprayed perfume out there. And then you guys did that shit, like – a month or two later, and everyone forgot about. Yeah, we crushed it. No, no, we crushed it. We crushed it. But that's you know that's the idea. Like you approach it with creativity. You approach everything with with pure pure creativity. You know, what I mean? I'm interested to pull stuff like that off. Can you talk about the kind of team that you assemble? I know there's I know there's vendors <laughs> and there's people that you. But how do you pull together a team? That is that amazing that can even manage that. So, kind of stuff. you know, it goes back to Pavan, what you said about community. 
we tap into our community. They're not just there to like, mm-hmm. you know, just, hey, you know, we're doing a collaboration with this. Can you support it? It's like, hey, how can you get involved? How can you do something? So our community, you know, of a, like we have about a million creators that are around the Milk community. These are people we tap. So today what we're doing at at, uh, Barclays Center or tomorrow what we're doing in the jam room or the next day what we're doing with Burton Stoneboards, they're a community. So what we do is we collaborate with them. The community thing has to go both ways. You have to go outwards and then you have to go inwards, right? So what we do is we say, you know, if if a project like this comes, Mm -hmm. yeah, we have a lot of people in-house and we have a lot of great directors and people we represent, creators, but... What makes it special is that we have the ability to be able to go to an incredible group of people, especially young ones who no one knows yet, and tap them to do a project. Like if it's Daniel Arsham or Snarkitecture or Virgil, you know, or who does Off-White or Matt Williams, who was, you know, Gaga's creative director. All these guys are like in our community. So when we get an amazing project, we can be like, hey, guys, we got this, we got that. What do you think? And then they'll usually be like, I'm in. And then we go, all right, let's write this thing. Let's, let's build the narrative. And then we go and do it. And, you know, I, as much as it's difficult to put people together, the execution is difficult. And because Milk comes from production, we come from studios, we come from doing that part, we're very good at delivering. So a lot of great, great companies, you know, they, they have great access, they have great creativity, they have this. But you know what? They're not very good at production. They're not good at execution and production. So were we you were always very, very good, good at production at always. 24 years old? I was, that was all we knew. You know, we were the guys who emptied, you know, the equipment room and vans and built sets and took down 12Ks off of like high boys. I mean, we do it. I do it. I'm there every day with them if I need to be. So like when you do that, you have this, you have this like street cred of like getting your ass into a production and yep. going, we're all going to do this no matter what. And we deliver. So that part is the hardest part. And we, we, we locked that down a long time ago. You know, we've been doing production for 20 years. All right, let's take, I hate to do it, but let's take a quick break. Uh, after, I'm mesmerized, Rossi, honestly. I'm sitting here just like, like it's the best interview ever. So uh, uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we will order our entrees. Yeah, we got an extra entree to order. Oh. We got an extra entree to order, right? We do. Hey, sweetheart in the corner, what are you looking for? I'm going to eat steak tonight for the oh, first time. Sh- <laughs> oh, that's what's up. All right, all right. For the first all right. time? For the first time, okay. Yeah, right. I'm a pescatarian. <laughs> <laughs> to find out... A pescatarian from Brazil, are you crazy? Is. That's we'll not even a right thing. after the break. <laughs> right here on the 100th episode of Fashion Is Your Business. Be right back. Hi, I'm John Matson. I'm one of the hosts of Travel Is Your Business. And if you're interested in what's going on behind the scenes within the travel industry, you have to check out this show. We cover everything from the aviation industry to hospitality, hotels and accommodations, even in-destination and touristic experiences. If you work within the travel industry, this is an important resource for you. You'll hear from not only executives and leaders within the industry, but also new innovations and technologies that are coming to market right now. And if you're not in the travel industry, you're going to gain insights that help you connect with a traveler and their experience to advance your career. So come along for the ride. 
You can listen and subscribe to Travel Is Your Business wherever the best podcasts are found. Did I tell you guys how much I love Brazil? <laughs> no, but let's talk about that. We should talk about Brazil. We should talk about Brazil. Yeah. Let's talk about Brazil. Uh, welcome back to the 100th show of Fashion Is Your Business, where we will be talking about Brazil <laughs> with Rossi right here at Ben and Jack's Steakhouse in New York City, where we are eagerly, eagerly awaiting our steak and whatever else. Here's what I, I think someone at this table is about to try steak for the first time. Is that a fact? Yeah. Is that right? A pescatarian, pescatarian. is about to have steak. A Brazilian pescatarian about a to have Brazilian. steak. Is that a fact? I think you ordered the this, this Chilean sea bass if, I didn't, if my right ear didn't uh, confuse. If I ate steak, my mom would kick me out of the house. Exactly. There it is. <laughs> so listen, a uh, little bit of an announcement, guys. We are very, very proud and happy and excited to announce that uh, Liz Bacillar, founder of Decoded Fashion is now with the Fashion Is Your Business and Open Source Fashion Squad. What up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? What? It was so, about time for yeah. a chick to join this party. It is, yes, yes. Do you yes. know the time she had to ask and we kept turning her yeah, down? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, super excited. Yeah, I've been watching you guys grow for the for the past episodes. Uh, we've been collaborating a lot. You guys were at Dakota Fashion New York before I left. Took your ass 99 Dakota. episodes. Yeah, yeah right? Uh, and, and, yeah, I'm really proud of... Um, well, we've come uh, as friends, Pavan. I know you for so for so so long. Heart. And I love the new branding, guys. Check out the new branding; it's so gorgeous. Yeah, we'll drop that mm-hmm. on June seven with this episode. That's right. Well, uh, since since this is yeah. about Rossi, and yeah. I love Rossi, can take, I ask take, him a couple? Yeah, questions? you can jump yeah, right yeah, in. Do you mind? <laughs> we we actually knew you would steal the stage. <laughs> I'll it's so okay. Yeah. We asked all our questions. <laughs> it's so, no problem. Yeah, so, yeah, Mark, you, you. you haven't said it yet, but we're going to be doing spinoff episodes from yes. the brand side. So. You guys tackle tech all the time, uh, how they see the fashion world, the kind of collaborations they do, they do together. So now we flip the table and we talk to brands about how they see fashion, fashion icons, how do they see tech mm-hmm. and the future of this industry. And today, Rossi, I'm going to talk to you. Hi, Liz. Hey. So we both at the CFDA Innovation Board, which was a big <laughs> deal right. for me because... I really looked up to you all this time. I started way later than you. I, I came to fashion five years ago. You've been around much longer. And I've always wanted to be a troublemaker in the space. And I found company when you, when you joined there. I'm like, yeah, that's it, troublemakers. And thinking of all the entrepreneurs listening to this right now, what is your tip from to- about talking to the industry and getting them from no to yes? Because I feel that that has been my journey, getting them always from no to yes. Yeah. So I'm... Um- First of all, welcome to this incredible company. You guys, I've known Liz for a long time. Yo, you've you known this are, company you for guys so long. Are very, you know, very, very lucky to have her. It's wonderful. Yes, um, I think that, you know, the fashion industry inherently uses this word no. Like everything out of the gate is no. And there's this concept, and I think it's an old school concept of like, no, 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 and edit and not be democratic because somehow we loved that word luxury a few years ago. It doesn't work today. So um, how do you get them to do that? It, it's about if they want to survive in the new age, if they want to do well on digitally and on e 
then they have to be democratic. Because what they have to realize is that the consumer controls the brand. The review button is one inch from the shop button. It's not you, it's them. And the only way this is going to work is kind of like what Patagonia does. It's honesty. It's saying when you do great stuff and saying when you do not so great stuff and, and living, you know, and kind of like truing up to that. So what happens now is that we have to sit with people in the fashion industry and go, yes, 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 yes. You have to embrace this. You have to talk about this because if you don't, you're just going to be a relic. And, and, and you can't just keep putting ads in big magazines and paying $20,000, $30,000 a page or maybe more and, and not care about what happens digitally. But well, can't you, you just to, move the review button? It well, sounds like they, the problem is that it's You know what? There's, there's so many fashion companies we meet with where we, we work with them on their e-com platforms. When we tell them that we're going to put review in there, they go, no, we don't want to review. And you're like, are you crazy? And they're like, what? People get to judge us? We're like, yes. Yes, that's the point. You know, they're going to do it outside of your platform or inside of your platform. The difference is, is that now the only way that you're going to be able to succeed in this world is that if you have a yes mentality where the glass is full rather than half empty. And, and um, so it's a challenge, but there, there's no choice. Do you find that they come to you? Like I talk to many brands and they say they want to be visionary. They want to be the first. And then you pitch an idea. And then the, the first thing they say is, or are you sure this is going to work? Is, has this been tested? So yeah. it's almost contradictory, right? It's that desire to be the next and to be unique. And but then wait, 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 wait. follow, follow, follow. But yeah. they want to be safe. Yep. Look, you know, Steve Jobs Especially never looked at a, Steve Jobs never looked at a PNL or a, or a um, report from a you know a group study or anything. He went with his guts, and I think that if you want to innovate, you can't create things based on consensus. You know, you're going to die. You're going to just be like 20 people are going to sit around a room and everyone's going to go. And at the end, you're going to get this mediocre thing. So, yeah, they always go, will this work? And I, we always say we have no idea because in three months, the world's going to change, especially in digital, right? It's like three, three months. And that's, that's the motto we live by at it's Milk. There's not enough time to test this. That, let me tell you, in three months, this is our motto at Milk. In three months, the world changes. Time to Whether talk you future, like Rossi. it or not. Let's talk future. But listen, right. this, interview, so, this so interview we, has been so great, but you guys have not been talked about the one thing that really like made me go, what about you, Rossi? Uh -huh. You went from service to freaking product, man. That's yeah. like a show. We say the hardware is hard, right? <laughs> Product is hard. I mean, yeah. makeup line. It's always a startup all over again within your company. How hard is that? So it's interesting because um, I just did an article for Inc. Magazine about, you know, companies that are B2B, companies that do service, like we've done for years. All of a sudden, they, let's say you become a brand and you create something for C. And all of a sudden, like, what is that transition? And how do you deal with your partners? And how do you change your internal, you know... Uh, mechanisms to be able to do that. It, it's, it's, it's hard because what happens is B2B businesses create content and socials for C. No other company looks at your stuff. No, yeah. Consumers do. All of a sudden you become a brand. Now you're like, you know, we always had this great study about John Deere. Let me tell you, they sell tractors. They sell They're B2B. B2B. But guess what? Every kid in America wants to buy a John Deere hat. 
A little. More. Oh, we had those giant cast iron ones, like yeah. the big ones with you the know, double so wheels. So they have this like sea market. Mm-hmm. You can basically ride it. See why? Because they're a great American brand. <laughs> so now the question is: is like, what do you do with that? So we looked at ourselves and we said, okay, for 20 years we've helped other brands build their brands, create their content, build their advertising, speak to community, build them yep. communities. Then we were like, maybe a brand. Maybe, you know, the girl in Ohio doesn't know us, but everybody in the industry does. But you know what? If we were a brand, what would we create? So we spent six months figuring out, like, what was the product we would make to consumers? And at the end, we, we created a makeup line called Milk Makeup. And as I said, we, you know, we're in 50 Sephora stores, going about 100 by the end of the year. Urban Outfitters will be in 50 stores. We're in, and Birchbox is a sampling program. So it took off. Would a pair be next? Huh? Would a pair be next? Would I ever see it? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? I, I don't know. Your I, eyes don't tell me excitement on makeup. I'm super excited because you know what? We, we don't look at makeup as cosmetics. We look at it as an accessory. Okay. We look at it as an extension of who we are at Milk to like poke people, change people, make people rethink. Our makeup is for guys, girls, trans. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. LGBT. We are like, it's a part. It's a tool we built to kind of extend our community. So there are girls right now walking in Minneapolis at, you know, at, at, you know, the biggest Sephora stores. They're walking into Kansas City. They're walking into Chicago and they're seeing milk. Six foot gondola at Sephora. And they're like, what, what the hell's milk? What the hell's milk? Yeah. Yeah. You know what it is? I have three seconds. <laughs> yep. I have three seconds. And this is what they do. They pull their phone out and they go, milk makeup. And they go, oh, And fuck. they go, whoa. Yeah. They're not just a makeup company. They're like a cultural center. Yeah. And that's how I win. But what's interesting is I have three seconds. Now, if they pull out an iPhone, I'm, I'm going to be okay. If they pull out an <laughs> <laughs> Android, you know, i got to fight a little harder. Because yeah. believe it or not, it's, it's a different SEO's movie. different. You've got to start making your own phones. You know, for I was sure. just going to say, I love, I love this play for you. Because aside from actually being a, an actual business concept... It really helps you understand from a different perspective being a brand yeah. in that space and going yeah. through some of the trials and tribulations that your own clients have gone through. And how yeah. does that change your understanding even of your, your own work that you do? So it, 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 it does actually make you a little bit more humble because mm-hmm. when someone actually mm-hmm. goes out in Ohio and walks Spends into their money. an Urban Outfitters yeah. or a Sephora and buys your product... Yep. You, it's humbling. I mean, you're like, I, I just want to fly to their house and walk into their front door and go, thank you so much. Now, that would be customer service. <laughs> I mean, it's That's like everything, plan, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's customer service. It's, it's everything. But, you know, you we can't do, a do that. a campaign of Rossi. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like that. I, 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 feel like, I feel like... With Kanye, um, yes, for sure. I think it's, 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 it's humbling. It's humbling. Yeah. And, and you know what? Even I remember once speaking with Kanye and he said to me, no, nothing is more powerful to a person at his level or any other big you know, music star or when someone goes and buys your movie or buys your album. Mm-hmm. It humbles them. And I think we, we, we are nowhere at that level, but it, it's a, there's a little bit of that with us. We're like, this is unbelievable. This girl spent $24 buying our lipstick. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I mean, I've built brands... And strategy and commercials and campaigns for everybody. I never thought about who buys it. And now it's like a completely different concept. And, and, and Rassi, I, I got to take a moment to give a shout out to your co-founder in Business and Life. Because for many out there, uh, 
like myself, entrepreneurs who have a great mm -hmm. partner next to you yeah. that gives you an, an advice. So Zana, and she's working. She worked on the makeup as well. Yeah, right? my my wife. I know, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> she's done a lot of interviews with you. Actually, you guys do it together. Yeah, Zana. You know, you know, she's she's an incredible human being. She doesn't like steak. She loves steak. What the, I mean, the plus one was offered. I know. <laughs> I don't know. But she's a, yeah, she, she's, um, yeah, she, she wasn't thing. invited. Yeah. You know, we have kids. <laughs> we, we got twins. They're two yeah, years yeah. old. So it's like someone's got to be home. But that is incredible because when, when that opportunity happened, you know, one of the other things we do. I heard you go, have four hands and you need six hands to take care of them. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have kids. We had a litter. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so when you're in the twin shit, club, yeah. you're like a litter. You're like, they're running all over the place. And they run, now they run in different directions. So, like, you have to decide which one you're going to save. <laughs> My friend who has twins called me up and goes, oh, you're such an amateur. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you don't have to decide which one you're going to save. He goes, don't you know the rule? I go, no. He goes, so when they run in different directions, you trip one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you go after the other, and, by, and you pick them up. And by the time the other one gets up, you run back and you pick the other one. Up. <laughs> totally, yeah. It sounds mean, and I know like you know child services are going to come after me. Yeah, but, but kids bounce. You so save both yeah. lives. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're very bendy. <laughs> they're very bendy. Um, so I do want to talk about the future a little bit now, right? So sure. um, we—I don't know if you know this or not—but uh, we talked to your team quite a bit out in Sunset Park. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of context for our listeners and to anyone else: um, Industry City, Brooklyn, Sunset Park, whatever yeah. it is. There's a whole <laughs> ton of warehouses that have just been uh, neglected for uh, a long long time yeah. and now they're seeing a resurrection um with some some names like yourself and uh you know jamestown developers and people that are coming in and bringing life to that area very similar to what you did to the meatpacking district yeah. um within industry city i guess that's the whole ecosystem um you're involved in a project called camp david Yep. And Camp David is, from what I understand or what I take from it, it hasn't opened yet, um, coming to you fall 2016. It is. Is a space for creators, creators. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm assuming that the intent is to give everything a creator would need to succeed in today's business climate. What do people need today to succeed sure. in this business climate? So, yes. So we, we, we were very lucky. We, we just took 300,000 square feet at Industry City. How many? 300,000. 300,000 mother square yes. feet <laughs> um, Industry City. So as you know... You save me an edit. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Um, so what happened was um, we've been going to Industry City for a while. And yeah. me and my partner, Erez uh, Sternlich, you know, it's owned by partners there are Jamestown and yeah. Belvedere Capital and a few other great guys that we know. And, and so what happened is they actually are partners. In this. Some of the folks behind Chelsea. Yeah, Market yeah. And, and, and the, the, so we're partners with the, the group that owns yep. Industry City. And so what we've done is um, we're building actually a – it's kind of like a co-working space, but it's not so precious. So mm -hmm. – 
What that means is there are great companies like WeWork. My good friend Adam Newman started WeWork. Is yeah, go to their summer camps every year. A gazillion dollar worth. Right <laughs> gazillion now. And, you know, if, if Adam, you're listening, you used to sleep on he's, my couch. He's like, he's, like, <laughs> so. he's, like, he's like a triplet of unicorns right Yes, now. yes. Adam, <laughs> Adam you, you used to sleep on my couch in my ski house. So I love Adam and I and Adidas. But they, they built an incredible thing. Yep. And then, you know, there's Neuhaus, which has done incredible things. And they're, mm-hmm. they're really, really part of the creative community and, and especially the artistic community so um so what what we're doing is that we're building a co-working space a creative co-working space but the idea is that you can actually get dirty so you can go and make stuff so you so we're building all these rooms so people can rent a chair and start a company, but they can also go downstairs and do a CC machine. They can build models. They can, like, blow things up. Yep. So Camp David has been a brand that I've had for a while now. I always – I did a research back in the day about Camp David. Well, it's an amazing name it's for this spot. So, yeah. And then I realized that you can actually use the word Camp David, the name. <laughs> yeah, I was um, wondering so about I did, that. I did the research. <laughs> and so I always wanted to actually use a – I wanted to – I wanted to open up like a, a little bagel shop in Brooklyn and call it Camp David. Yeah. So I was holding it for a bagel shop. And then when, when this project came along, by <laughs> the way, I have at least like 10 brand names in my pocket. That I'm not going to say Prince. You know, he's got all these songs you never heard. So thank you. We just got served incredible steak. <laughs> we just got like, served like, heavy right now. I, 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 tell you, I could hear the sizzling of sizzling. that steak through the microphone. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Not distracting at all. No, 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 go no, on. Yeah, <laughs> um, I wish you at home could see these incredible steaks here. It in is New York true. City. They can. Follow it us on Snapchat like at SOS Fashion. Like a Sinatra Sunshine <laughs> star right now. So anyway, we, we Camp David is going to be this really incredible facility. We're in construction right now, mm-hmm. and we're, our goal is to open in September. And um, we're really looking forward for creators and makers in New York who want to start new companies. And our goal is to like build this incredible new movement. You know, I, I, that's a new thing I'm doing now. It's no, you know, I stopped using the word community because yeah. it's like movement. everyone and the mother. It's almost like using the word yeah. disruptive. For, <laughs> so the idea is that it's it's a movement, and we're our goal is to create a movement. Um, you know, at Industry City, and we're we're super excited about doing that. So it looks amazing. So we're we're there right now. The the space is obviously raw of Camp David, and you guys are building it out. So we're kind of floating around the Industry City space, working with right. some of your team on you ideating. Great. Yeah, absolutely. We work out of there twice a week, and then twice a week we're out of Rebecca Minkoff's headquarters with Cortini and Q Labs. Um, but the idea is to to help you guys bring. Um, ideas and partnerships and things like that so we've been uh touring with companies like ups and ship and bridging relationships with uh, bpm across the street i don't know if you know uh bjal hotel the hotel bpm right across so bjal is a good friend of mine he's a dj and he has a whole dj's focused uh, hotel right across the street from you guys so talking about some interesting vip services over there yeah, but yeah. your space is positioned very very interestingly and um when we were talking to them not long ago we were actually trying to figure out there's a lot of resistance and i'm sure you've dealt with resistance before in your life oh, it's our uh, from from from, <laughs> from the local community about you know bringing in i guess this energy i'll say or this movement 
Um, and how are you dealing with folks that are threatened by displacement in Sunset Park? I sit on this great panel with Scott Stringer that put together about on-wrap opportunities for creatives. So the whole concept is New York's always been this place that creators from all over the world at a young age go, if I want to be in the creative businesses, I got to go to New York. Yep. Right? So now what's the problem? The problem is it's getting harder and harder for creatives to move to New York, find housing, live, and be able to survive. Mm -hmm. So my theory, so there was a lot of people on the board that talked about, well, you know, it's gotten so expensive in Manhattan. How can young people come? And I, my thing was that, you know what? I didn't move to New York, you know, 25, 26 years ago and go, why can't I live on, you know, Fifth Avenue? I went to Alphabet City and I lived like, you know, whatever. And so, so that's why Brooklyn has come up. That's why the Bronx is coming up. It's okay. It's like we're not asking why we can't live in Manhattan. So perhaps the fact that it's become so expensive in Manhattan has given opportunity for new boroughs to really come up. So as long as there's places for young people to go to live and work, create businesses, we're okay. So that's why Industry City is so important. But that's why also, you know, our other project, MANA in Jersey City, which is an art project, mm -hmm. is so important because that's gentrifying a neighborhood. That's why what's happening in South Bronx and what's happening, mm -hmm. you know, off the river up there is so important. So it's changing these neighborhoods. But how do you appease their fears of the communities that have been rooted there for so long, right? Like, how do you, I mean, it always happens, right? right? Williamsburg being a premier example Meatpacking District, be, ah, Williamsburg being a premier example. <laughs> well, meatpacking, nobody lived there, but right. I mean, now you're you're looking at an area where they're just scared, right? That that change is happening, and there's young folks coming, and yeah, but, whatever that means. You know, the, the same family that may say that has the opportunity to run and sell their land or their buildings for ten times more. I think there's. What's happening is what's happening, and yeah. and this is something that's always going to happen, and it's going to ride up and ride down, and and these neighborhoods, believe it or not, like even the Bronx used to be one of the most expensive places mm -hmm. in New York back in the twenties and thirties, and yeah. So these are cycles that happen. The key question is, is that for young creatives and young people who are coming to New York, where is there opportunities for them to be able to like settle here? Yeah. Is there opportunities for them? to be able to like build companies, build this. And you know what? Maybe Williamsburg is not that opportunity anymore, but Bushwick still is. Mm -hmm. Sunset Park is. Jersey Until City the L's is. cut off. Till, till they all come. <laughs> yeah. By the way, yeah. this is the biggest disaster oh, that's yeah. about to happen. And I mean, not like, if you're buying in like, Ridgewood, it's kind of like someone going, you know, <laughs> it's like someone going like, hey guys, there's a 300 foot tsunami heading to Manhattan. Yeah. And everyone goes, yeah. Too bad. But no one's doing anything yeah, about yeah, it. No, no, too it's bad. Like, this is no, no, I am. I'm buying property in Ridgewood, like, right now. I'm looking for it, and I'm going to park my just, ass in Ridgewood. Just come to Westchester, guys. So much more fun. The best Chester. John, you, Minkoff, and I, Westchester. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> New York or Connecticut? Yeah. Westchester, yo, that's like, you know, Rivertown. <laughs> oh. Oh. Rivertown. Easy does it. Easy does it. <laughs> well, listen, I, I, wanted to, I, I, I want to take a quick second to, first of all, like, 
food is in front of us. I'm, <laughs> like this is honestly it's a so reflection good. point. Uh, when you sell makeup, you get humbled. This is the most humbling experience I've already had in my entire journey with open source fashion. Uh, the fact that we're here with this group of people around me, uh, with you as our guest, uh, Mazdaq, and not only like you exude everything that I've started this community for is community is collaboration and education, right. and you've done that for 20 years consistently, and you've built. Um, an amazing community, an amazing movement, and you've empowered and strengthened so many people. So thank you for coming here. Thank, thank you. you all and my team for coming here. Yeah. And Liz, I am so damn excited to have Yay. you on board. And to, to a lot of great things ahead. Bon appetit, everybody. Cheers. 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 And by the way, and, uh, uh, seriously, a credit to Ben and Jacks. The steak is yeah. amazing. Well, I'm yeah. about to get so in. So yeah. let's take a quick break. And after that, we'll be back with Off the, off the Great questions. questions. Right after this on the 100th episode of Fashion Is Your Business. Right after this. Hi, I'm Roseanne Gold. I'm a chef, an author, a food writer, and the host of a new podcast called One Woman Kitchen. So excited to be doing this because I'm interviewing the most fascinating women in the food world. And you don't even have to be interested in the food world or be part of it to enjoy these remarkable women's stories. It's diverse, it's international, it's intergenerational. What's most exciting to me is that the concept of One Woman Kitchen means something different for everyone. You can listen to One Woman Kitchen every week at onewomankitchenshow.com and also where all the best podcasts can be found. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the 100th episode of Fashion Is Your Business with a huge crew, our whole team, and Mr. Rossi right here with us in our incredible Ben and Jack's Steakhouse meal. And, of course, Joe, we are joined by surprise guest host, Liz Basilar. Oi, everyone. Oi, oi. <laughs> Soon not to be a guest host, by yes. the way. Soon to just be an actual host. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. I need to throw something at Ross, if you guys don't mind. Okay. Yes. Uh, when I think about Fashion Week, it just blows my mind, Rossi. Like, you remember Brian Park with Fern and then Lincoln Center? And it was so incredible to see the evolution, especially Brian Park. Cause that, was, mm -hmm. that was the beginning of yep. this organized schedule. But now milk being the epicenter of it, which is so interesting, and now everything evolving all over again. Where is this thing heading? Like, where do you see it? I'm not sure by now where now is the solution for everyone, but mm. what do you see as the future? So fashion shows yeah. are going to open up to consumers. That's happening. It it's already happen. has, pretty much. Yeah, right? I think that, um, you know, for fashion shows to work, there has to be commerce. Otherwise, why put them on, right? So, so back in the day, two groups used to go to fashion shows. It was a closed set. It was B2B. It was business to business. There was no consumers. So one side of the room were retailers and people who bought wholesale clothes. And the other side was editors and writers and people who wrote about it. So, you know, people would write about it. The other people would buy it. And the designer was kind of sheltered and didn't really speak to the consumer unless they built retail themselves. 
brick and mortar back at the day. So today, there's no commerce happening. Nobody's buying from the runway shows. You know, uh, retailers and uh, e-com platforms make an appointment. They come see the designer and they do it in sort of like very intimate settings. They don't want to do it off a runway. So they do it in appointments. So the other side that's left is people who write about it and people who, you know, promote it. So no one promotes it more these days than influencers and mm -hmm. rock stars and um, musicians and, and, uh, and, you know, the magazines but, uh, and the platforms. So what happens is it's becoming a marketing program. And now the question is, is like, well, if it's a marketing program, there's no commerce, why is it close to consumers? So now what's happening is people are going like, perfect example was the last show we did with, uh, was at Milk and it was with public school. It was like the models walked outside in the street where they had thousands of consumers lined up on the street and they did that. Kanye did an incredible thing in Madison Square Garden where he actually sold tickets. What we're doing with Made LA um, with, um, with Hood Buyer and Moschinos, we're actually selling tickets to consumers. So what else then happens is like, you know, you don't really care that much that the industry's there. You want your people there. You want the people who love you, who buy from you, your community. Um, so that's the trend that's going to happen. So now the next question is like, why is there seasons? You know, why, why is it in February and March? So like the whole thing is being turned upside down. And I love the fact that, you know, um, you know, you don't need to anymore, you know, show a presentation and then wait. And six months later, you see it in some retail store. It's, it's seen now, buy now. That's how digital works. And so you're going to see two things. You're going to see fashion shows opening up to consumers and you're going to see the, the, the retail world, of, especially on e-com to be really about see now, buy now. In a direction to consumers make designers stronger. So that's the good news. Yeah, you know, back in the day, this is how it worked. So the designer did a show. The fashion director of, I don't know, Bergdorf Goodman would sit in the front row and come to the designer and go, this is great. I love it. I love it. I want to order 200 of these skirts. And he would go, great. Oh, you know what? Um, my consumer... My, my customer would like to buy that in yellow instead of black. And then the designer would go, well, yeah, but I don't really make it in yellow. Yeah, but you don't know my customer. I know my customer. The designer would go, okay, great. I'll make it for you. Then they would make it. And they would have to borrow money to do it, which is factoring. Then the designer would go and borrow money, put himself in debt, create this thing for the retailer. Then the retailer would go and put it on display in their store. Six months later. And if it didn't sell, they would take the stuff and ship it back to the designer and go, I'm not going to pay for it. And the designer would go, but I borrowed money against that. And they go, yeah, but if you want us to work with you, you're going to have to eat that. And so they never really talked to the consumer. They were in a really difficult position. Today, they're like, you know, the, the, the fashion director of whatever will walk up and go, I think you should do that. They go, no, I don't think so. They'll be like, but why? Because my consumer, who I speak to now directly, says, this is not a good idea. And then they go, oh, so the power has moved back to the designer and the, the power has shifted to the consumer and the consumer talks to the designer. So all of these retail uh, companies that are in the middle of this don't have a lot of power anymore. So they have to be very careful now and they can't just throw their weight around.
Mark's in the middle of the bite. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> drop so, the mic, drop the, the mic, Ross. Drop the mic. I just, I just dropped that Throw it off the table. <laughs> I couldn't have done that by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. What a, I'm going to leave this in the show. No. <laughs> you have to. The pause would be so funny. This steak is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so good. It really this is. steak is it's so good. good. Really is. All right. We're going to go off the. I can't talk. I have a stick in my mouth. We're going to go off the grid right now because it happens to be time for. And now it's time for questions off the grid with Fashion is Your Business. That's right, off the grid questions where we take questions off the grid. None of the hosts know what we're going to ask. We don't know what each other's going to ask, but it is all solved because we brought into Ben and Jack's a gigantic Wheel of Grid Destiny. (laughs) Yeah, spin that wheel, Mark. We're going to spin that wheel right now and figure out who's going to ask the first question and it's not public because he's sticking of the his mouse. It is Liz yes. Bartelar who Thank has you. the first question <laughs> off the grid. Welcome. This is the problem with random. Right, it's a yeah. rookie issue. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rossi, what keeps you up at night aside from your twins? Um, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. What keeps me up at night is relevancy what i always think about is like are we relevant does this really matter how are we changing things why are we not asking the big questions um why does this industry suck why does the other industry suck why is it with people who are in those industries who are holding those industries down you know, I, I, I challenge the status quo. I, what keeps me up at night is is how can we change everything we touch? And sometimes I feel like um, we are too comfortable to do that because milk is a big company now and we make a lot of money. And it's like, you know, I want to go back to our grassroots. I want to have the feeling of a small company and I want to have the feeling of a company that wants to risk everything they have. And that's what keeps me up at night. Well, Hashtag we have an inspiring. opening. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say we have an opening. We hiring us. Hashtag. We're perpetually hiring people for free. Come on down. Yeah. <laughs> Great Not bad. Not bad, Liz. Not bad. All right. And I'm nice. spinning the wheel of Grid Destiny. It has come to Puppet. But I was looking at Rob. I know. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so there was... Um, you were uh, born in Iran. Yeah. Um, you left during the revolution, obviously, for yeah. obvious reasons. Um, you had a privileged life. You moved out to Champaign, Illinois, between cornfields, apparently. Yeah. And one thing that I read in that interview was that um, food made you feel uh, close to home and, yeah. and inspire you to uh, like recollect all the memories and things like that. So being that we're here at a steakhouse, I guess, uh, what makes you feel at home now, being in New York, away from your family, and going on this insane journey over the last two decades, um, what makes you recollect and feel feel comfort? So forget about 
what makes you sleep well at night? Yeah. <laughs> the opposite, basically, of, of the um, I mean, food is really important because it represents, like, a gathering, right? It's like mm-hmm. family and breaking bread, which is the, really what we're doing tonight, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, we all feel really close to each other and we can talk about industry and whatnot. But really, at the end of the day, it's about friendship and and hopefully people will hear this and make better decisions. Um, the Today, it's all about what really makes me feel at home is, you know, where my family is and my kids. And, you know, I have twin girls who are two years old. And, you know, that changes everything. Are they and identical or fraternal? They're fraternal. Do they look the same, though? No, they're close, but they're like two sisters at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, it's just, uh, that's that's what it's all about. And, you know, so it doesn't really matter, you know, if we succeed in the future, if Milk becomes a really, really successful company. It's like, I think we've already changed a lot of things. And I think a lot of people in New York will remember us. So it's kind of like Warhol's factory, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to follow this up. Looking back now, so you you came from a privileged background in Iran and basically had to pack up whatever your parents could pack up in suitcases and go. Yeah. Do you ultimately think that was for the best now? Yeah. I mean, I look at my mom now and and I'm like, wow, I can't even imagine how strong you were to take two boys and, you know, and get us out of that in the middle of. Mm-hmm. You know, here we, we came to America with nothing. We started over and, you know, I'm very involved in like politics and I'm very involved in like the future of our nation because very few people in this country can say that, you know, they've lost one country. They don't want to lose another one. Mm-hmm. Like to be nine years old and see 2,500 years of monarchy end or to see a government fall abruptly. Abruptly to see a society crash um, is very rare. It's very rare. So I don't look at it as a as almost like a sad thing. It happened. What I do look at it is that I'm one of the few people in the world that have watched an entire society crash. And so what happens is you don't take anything for granted. Mm-hmm. You don't take. Um, this country for granted. And that's why immigrants are so important to our culture because we are the, the, we are the group that takes it to the next level because sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with it, is that a lot of my friends who grew up here and are very successful here and have had lineage and, you know, they, they, they don't take it for granted, but they're, they're, they're settled. They're like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And we look at it and go, no, 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 no. We got to make it better because it could end. We've seen it. I've seen it as a nine-year-old. It could really end. And people go, no. But you know what? We could elect someone that could end things mm-hmm. in a really bad way or we could make decisions that we do or we buy into fear and we, we, we lash out against immigrants. But you know what? I'm really proud of all of my friends who've built great companies in this country and they're all immigrants most of them are first generation and you know um so immigration is our fuel and we we can't forget that so we can't demonize them or build walls to keep them out and um so i'm very active uh the next exhibition we're doing in the milk gallery is called service it's with an incredible photographer platon who shoots a lot of new yorker covers and time covers and it's about the the it's a it's about the 
you know, the, the sacrifice that our, the soldiers make and their families. And it's a very hard show. It goes up next week at the Milk Gallery. And it's about how war affects and kills and maims Americans. And um, the reason we wanted to do the show is because it's an election year. It's because we want people to know that when our leaders choose to go to war, this is what happens. So we're really proud of it. And it's going to be a big show. And, and um, How long is that going to run? It's going to be up for a month. Okay. And it's called Service. And it's the photographer's Platon. It'll be at the Milk Gallery in New York. Very nice. I have a third question. I know I'm not allowed to do that normally, but I'm going to. It's a yes or no question. Yep. Do you watch the Shahs of Sunset? I do not. <laughs> Fair enough. I do. Spinning the, wheel. <laughs> Spinning the wheel of grid destiny, and it has come to me. Sparing Rob. Uh, Rossi, what do you do in your quiet times? I turn every device off. Every, every, <laughs> every, every device off. And, uh, and, um, and I, I just play with my kids. What, uh, follow up. Why is, uh, it seems obvious, but yeah. why is playing with your kids so important to you? Not just because they're your kids, yeah. but because of you. Well, you know, the other part that's really important before I answer that is turning your device off. Yeah. You know, and this, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs can can take on this. I know, Liz, you can. When you're an entrepreneur, you, there is no on-off. There's no, you're not working for someone where you go home and you go, I don't know, I'm not working right now. It's always on. So the key to success is to know where that part of your life slows down and the other part goes up. So there's no off. You know, there's no off. So, so you have to work really hard to create time for your family and your kids um, without that interjecting into it. And um, I think that if I can do that and I'm good at that, then the time with my kids and my wife and my family is 10 times more. So, you know, I also want to be, you know, a good dad. I want to be able to spend time with them I want to be able to like see you know and hear you know when they say their first words and the first time they walk and even though I didn't my nanny sent me a video of them walking uh, which was horrible but you know uh, so you know it's important to turn all this off and, and you know we I, I you know today luxury is not a Louis Vuitton bag or a private jet. Today, luxury is putting your feet in the sand for 20 minutes and, and reading a book. That's what luxury is today. Someone write that down. <laughs> already did it. I know. Thank you. And final spin of the wheel, which, of course, lands on Rob. So um, I love knowing where people come from from an educational perspective. And what? Yeah, yeah, weird, huh? <laughs> it's not like this theme has followed me all through 100 episodes. Um, and so I kind of have a, a two-parter just following on everybody else hogging your time. Um, so the first one is, what's a moment from your education where you made a choice out of fear and what happened? And what's a moment from your early education where you made a choice out of joy and what happened? Yeah. You know, I'm very lucky. I come from, my parents are both in academia. They're both professors. And my dad was, 
you know, a major force in, in Iran during the, the, the king, the Shah's regime. And he built a lot of universities. He was head of agriculture and he worked in the education department. So I was always growing up around universities and, and you know, so I was always around academia. So education for me was just the, like the way it was like my surrounding. The, the greatest moment was I think I was a junior, sophomore in university. I was in like community college. I couldn't even get into university. And I came home one day and I looked at my parents. I said, I have great news. And they're like, what? I was like, I'm done. <laughs> they're like, you're what? <laughs> they're like, I'm done. So I always had this feeling that education was for me and I wasn't for it. That means I didn't care about a diploma. I didn't care about, um, you know, this award. It was just like, what can I learn as fast as possible so I can get out there and make <laughs> Like that was my whole thing. So... I had a completely different view on education. It was like, because it was around me. Like, I, I didn't think of it as like this thing I had to achieve. I was like, I get it. And I, so, so I, I dropped out of university. I moved to New York. I borrowed 500 bucks from my mom. And I landed here. And, 500 and, bucks? Yeah, that was a lot I got then. got Uber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, 500 bucks in like 93 yeah. was a lot. And then I, 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 you know, I lived on Avenue X in Coney Island with a friend. I lived oh, on his shit. couch. We did whatever we had to do. But it was the best days of my life. But, you know, when you come from academia and your family's there, you have this thing where, like, okay, if this doesn't work, I can always end up back at home to my mom <laughs> and, like, re, you know, sign up for college. So I, I had a different thing. But that, that moment where I realized, like, life is not about a diploma, Life is about me, that the greatest project I was going to be on is me, that the greatest study I was going to do in my life was me. And I said this in my talk the other day in front of students. It was like, you are your greatest project. You are your number one homework. And if you can do that, then you become this really whole person. And usually these are done at schools of liberal arts. You know, They're not usually done at like, when you go, if you want to become a doctor, I get it. It's not about you. It's about you have to learn and you have to go. If you want to be an engineer, you got to learn about it. But sometimes when you want to be in the creative fields or if you want to build things or you want to like sort of be a maker or even a little bit of tech, like you got to think about you because at the end of the day, you are the engine. And um, and so those those moments were really big for me. The other thing I realized that was like a really important moment in my life was like, and my dad always taught me this. It was, it was there's no right or wrong decision. The key was to know when you're at a crossroads that you had to make a decision, and it didn't matter if you said yes or no or left or right. That was fine. But many people don't even know they're at a crossroads or they don't go left or right. And what happens is they just end up one way and then they don't like where they end up and then they don't love what they do and then it's work. And that was my fear is that one day I would have to work and I've never worked. And that's one of the greatest success stories. And it's a New York story, you know. Living with intent. You got to live in the time. Because I don't believe in <laughs> destiny. I don't. Nice. I just believe like if you make a right or a left, that's what you end up. So just know <laughs> you're about to go right or left. <laughs> you know? Was there a part two to that? <laughs> was there a part two? He's enthralled. Yeah, no, that's no. It. I'll, I'll ask a different one for part two okay. then. Um, favorite Star Wars moment? For Are we talking about Star Wars guys, now? Yeah, that favorite. was real quick. Yeah. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Look, the greatest moment. 
of any Star Wars man is when you know Han Solo is about to go into carbon freeze. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I love that part. And he says, Mark, Mark agrees. And she says, I, agree. I love you. And he says, I know. That's <laughs> like that's the moment. <laughs> I, ah. You know, I think I cried. I ah. You know, and like you know, worst moment, definitely Jar Jar Binks. I mean, <laughs> although the theory of him being a Sith, Lord I know, is my favorite you know, theory. That's Sith the only Lord, redeeming. Sith Lord, <laughs> so as much as I hate to end on Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> as much as I. Hate what what an extraordinary little journey we've been on through this interview, Rossi. Thank you very much for joining us for our 100th episode. Uh, amazing. What thank an amazing. I wish, I, yeah. I sincerely and truly wish we had another two or three hours yeah. together uh, because you, I think yep. it would be just as good. Uh, how could people connect with you or with uh, Milk Studios or anything else that you'd like to share out there? Yeah, you can't. Um, we are... No, we're kidding. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you totally can, yeah. No, no. I mean, Milk is... You know, let me tell you a story. We had two kids from Tokyo show up a couple of years ago with their backpacks, and they were just downstairs. <laughs> Someone called me, and we went down, and we were like, who are you guys? And they just flew in from Tokyo, that backpacks on, and they said, um, we heard that if you wanted to be a photographer and a creator that you just had to come to milk. And it was like one of the greatest moments that I ever had where I was like, oh my God, if we are a beacon of light to these creatives around the world, that's a, that we've done our job. And one of them lived in our jam room on the couch for like a month. The other one... Were they talented? Lived, huh? Were they talented? <laughs> one ended up working for a huge photographer Amazing. became part of his team. The other one ended up at an agency. Beacon what was interesting light, yeah. was like, they just showed up, right? And they didn't speak any English. It was like, you know, and it was a lot of like writing down in sign language. But so how do you, how do you connect with me? You, you just got to get involved, you know? It's like, you know, it's not about an email. It's about like, it's just getting involved and, and coming up with ideas and projects and, and saying, you know, this is how we want to change things. Yeah. Well, there you go. Amazeballs. That's it. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Uh, thank you so much, Rossi, for joining us for this, uh, this wonderful talk here at Ben & Jack's Steakhouse in New York City for our 100th episode. I really think that deserves a round of applause. Huh? Well, that is it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business. So for Rob Sanchez. Good night, y'all. Pub and Ball. Shake it easy. Elon Tito. Charles back with Michael Day. Ciao, ciao. Talia Mikaloa, Shanice Graves, and of course, Liz Vassilar. Ciao. This is Mark Rako. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you at episode 200 soon enough, right here on Fashion Is Your Business. Have a great day. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.